healthcare reform. Those two words can paralyze politicians, infuriate the health insurance industry, and confuse the rest of us. For longtime MedTech CEO Andy Thompson, healthcare reform will only start when healthcare leaders begin to ask a different question. When I worked at Medtronic, the question that Bill George asked pretty consistently was, yes, but how does that make a difference for a patient? And that became something that everybody else would ask because that's the question they knew that Bill would ask. And by the way, once you knew the answer to that question, then you could get a business system to align around how you turn that into a product and into something that was approved and into something that became profitable. Hi, I'm Irene Silber with the Vanguard Network. Andy Thompson says reform is possible, but it requires better technology for consumers, different incentives for providers, and a bit of courage from healthcare leaders. Ken Banta, principal and founder of the Vanguard Network, sat down with Andy Thompson to ask, how broken is the system? Andy, um, healthcare is widely seen as being broken here in the U.S. Uh, what's your view on that? So uh, I think it's important to, to really frame it in, in the right way. We don't have a healthcare system. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a sick care system. And uh, it does the job for which it was designed pretty well, which is to manage acute disease and trauma. But it largely fails to meet the current needs uh, which we now have extant around the world. And that's mainly chronic diseases managed by patients and families in their own homes. Wasn't the Affordable Care Act designed to address uh, some of this broken uh, non-system and, and what happened? Um, it might have been, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, the Affordable Care Act made incumbents, big medicine, big pharma, big device, big payers, even bigger and even more profitable. Um, it did enable some more people to get access to health insurance, but it didn't really change necessarily the health access paradigm and it certainly failed to control costs. Um, so uh, it was a big political headline. Um, it maybe moved the ball down the field in a direction that some people like, but it didn't do much of what perhaps it could have done to change incentives in American healthcare. It sounds, uh, Andy, like you have in mind a system that does work uh, or works better. Is there one in the world that you uh, like that seems to be more effective? Uh, so I think it's really important um, to note that nobody yet has a healthcare system. And so let's just talk for a second about digital technology and, and why it's important. If you think about other sectors that have transformed using digital technology, look at, let's say, financial services or legal services. And what we've been able to do here is to emancipate people who perhaps previously wouldn't have had access to those services into those systems, but who now do. And it's because if you think about, let's say, the financial sector, um, JP Morgan Chase has closed many of its bank branches and shifted from a building people product model into a mobile software service model, where instead of going to my building to meet my people to deal with my complicated product, I've task relocated to your mobile phone. I've task simplified so it fits on a five-inch screen and I've task segmented so that the consumer who works an alley paid job can get it done on their lunch break where they live work play and pray in their own time and in their own way 
That's a much better model. And by the way, when people in healthcare talk about why consumers need to change their behavior, they miss the point entirely. It is the production function that needs to fundamentally change its behavior to recognize what consumers actually need and then start to deliver it. So what would be a good example of that kind of need that could be answered uh, the same way that someone answers a banking need? So if you just think about um, how healthcare works in the management of chronic conditions and the largest group of healthcare workers in the world today are not doctors and nurses, it's patients and families. And by the way, if your mum has heart failure, the person keeping her out of hospital today isn't a doctor or a nurse, it's you. Part of the problem, however, is that there is a huge incentive for your mum to go to hospital because that's how the doctors and nurses make money. That's why we need changes in incentive systems and why we need to recognize that people who are doing this vital healthcare work in the community today have no tools, no rewards, no recognition, no nothing. And so, yet we so all complain about health. Let's uh, talk a little more about that uh, mother with uh, heart failure. What would be the kind of digital uh, resource that would be the equivalent of having a great uh, online banking system? So what we know, for example, about heart failure patients is that there are simple uh, uh, activities of daily life and other parameters that you can track that can support appropriate care for those patients. So did my mom take her medicines today? Did she get out of bed this morning? Is she moving around? These are all tools and technologies that actually exist and which can dramatically change the course of a clinical a pathway if people know and understand how to use them. Uh, but those solutions have to be built and delivered and consumers have to know and how to, uh, have to know how to use them. You know, this sounds an awful lot like uh, Proteus Health where you were CEO. Uh, was that in fact what you were up to and uh, what, what caused it not to become the, uh, the, the way of the world? Well, so if I gave you one example in, 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 uh, in heart failure itself, mm -hmm. uh, we conducted a a very successful clinical implementation, a commercial clinical implementation, uh, where we were able to track people's use of their medicines and their activities of daily life. And we added that information into a care pathway that was staffed by nurses uh, who were otherwise managing these patients. And it was a controlled study. So uh, there were two arms to it, one arm where you had the information flowing and one arm where you didn't. Um, and we looked at those patients in the three month period after they were discharged. Uh, and then we looked at them for the following six months when they were no longer on the Proteus system. And what we showed over that period of nine months is that we reduced utilization of hospital services by over 90%, over 90% because we added information into the, into the intensive care period and we tuned up and, and enabled families and patients to manage themselves because they had much better data and understanding of what to do to keep their, their loved ones out of hospital. The result? Well, we can't implement that, said the chief financial officer, because that's how we make money. We make money when people come to our hospital. If we had a 90% reduction in our buildings, people, and products, we'd go out of business. We can't do that. Wow. So if you think uh, that this might somehow take hold, uh, it clearly won't be through hospitals. Uh, where do you think might the home for this kind of help lie? So the key, again, to come back to this is that, look, the hospital is the sick care system, and it yeah. does the job for which it was designed very well. Sick care can't do health care. Mm -hmm. The way to understand this is, in the 20th century, we built a, a sick care system using the very best tools and technologies that we had at that time. Buildings where you plug into electricity, which was the new utility or network. People with knowledge in their heads, because education was a fantastic 20th century invention and products that were designed to be safe in everybody and work with somebody, 
because mass standardization was the big achievement of the industrial era. Great, we've got that. And it does what it was supposed to do reasonably well. We now have a new network and a new utility called the mobile internet. And so we can build a healthcare system that's designed to deal with these chronic conditions that are dealt with in community settings, where the power of a building where you plug into electricity is massively extended by the power of a mobile phone where you plug into the internet, where people with knowledge in their heads can have that specialist skill massively amplified by software servers with intelligence in the cloud, and where products that are designed to be safe in everybody and work in somebody can become services that are tailored to you, your genes, your lifestyle, your behavior, and delivered where you live. That's the promise. And it won't happen because people in sick care want to do it. It will happen because we create a new system with new sets of financial resources and incentives that make that possible. Are you imagining uh, AT&T, Safeway, uh, Amazon? Where do you think this would end up? You went straight to the production function. I don't think we mm-hmm. need to imagine the production function. What we need to imagine is the financing function and mm-hmm. um, how, how, how that gets resourced. And by the way, not only how does it get resourced, but how does it get regulated? Because uh, today our regulatory system is designed to incent the creation of very complicated difficult to use products because the way reimbursement works uh, based on an RBRVS system is the more difficult and the more complicated it is, the more you get paid. So you have an absolute disincentive to create products and services that are easy to use by people like consumers. You've talked uh, about the importance of courage in leaders and having courageous leadership. As you look around, is there anybody there who's getting close to uh, the model you propose as a, as a leader? Um, uh, I could talk about lots of different ways to frame that. I'm going to um, maybe shift a little bit. Say, look, years ago, I sold a business to Med- Medtronic when Bill George was the CEO. And yes. I was far too young and far too callow to realize quite how intelligent and capable and brilliant that guy was. Mm-hmm. But what I have learned over the years is that uh, as a CEO, you can be very uh, easily defined by the questions or question that you ask. And when I worked at Medtronic, the question that Bill George asked pretty consistently was, yes, but how does that make a difference for a patient? And that became something that everybody else would ask because that's the question they knew that Bill would ask. And by the way, once you knew the answer to that question, then you could get the business system to align around how you turn that into a product and into something that was approved and into something that became profitable. But it all started with that core question. I can tell you, having spent the last decade attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, that most of the healthcare leaders that I kick into nowadays don't ask that question. They ask the question, yeah, but how do you make money out of that? That's the wrong question. Um, In the tech industry, we have communication pretty much for everyone everywhere. And most computing technology today uh, is owned by individuals and more than by governments and corporations combined. Most people in the world who make less than $10 a day have access to computing technology. And what's interesting about this is it's not an act of God, it's not an act of Congress, it's not gravity, it's not an accident, it's a business strategy. And it was created by the private sector. And it took incredible courage, frankly, to make that so. And when Steve Jobs created the iPhone, people said he was crazy, right? And so um, that's an example of real courage and real transformation in an industry. And if you compare it with healthcare, Today, we have access for rich people in rich countries. 
Uh, most healthcare technology is owned still by governments and corporations, and most people who make less than $10 a day have almost no access to healthcare technology. And again, it's not an act of Congress. It's not an act of God. It's not gravity. It's not an accident. It's also a business strategy. And it'll take a lot of courage to change it, but it should be changed. So uh, you are pointing out that there is this lack of courageous leadership in healthcare in presumably many aspects of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is it uh, that the leaders are coming out of the wrong kind of background, or is it that they're getting the wrong kind of encouragement from others? Uh, why aren't these leaders courageous? So I, I don't think it's right or fair to, to actually then take that an, um, analysis and say it's about the people. People live inside systems that create incentives. And what I would say is the biggest challenge we face in healthcare, particularly in the United States, is that the incentives are all about having it cost more and having it consume more. And so those incentives lead to a certain set of behaviors that result in my view in healthcare being very, very expensive and very, very inefficient and not necessarily um, defining innovation in the way that we understand it in other industries. So in most industries, innovation means faster, better, cheaper. And in healthcare, uh, it means faster, a bit better and a lot more expensive. Well, okay, that's all a result of incentives and not necessarily individual human failing. The courageous thing mm-hmm. will be to change those incentives. Yeah, how do you do that? Well, I think um, that that comes down to leaders, particularly in our private sector uh, co- corporations, having serious conversations with leaders in government about how to make this so. Um, I don't think that. Uh, political leaders are going to go and say we're going to change incentives uh, in large industries with many, many people employed without there being a clear roadmap. That was Andy Thompson, who's a Silicon Valley-based chief executive and entrepreneur, speaking with the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta. Podcasts like this one are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.